Well, we're turning to the last verses of First Peter. And uh, before we get there, you might want to move over to Mark chapter 14. That sets us up well for our text today, which is going to be in First Peter chapter 5. Jesus and his disciples ate a traditional Passover meal in the hours before his arrest and subsequent murder. As they were leaving that place where they had spent the evening together eating the meal, they left after singing a hymn, the Hallel. And as they do so, they move towards the Mount of Olives where Jesus gave a warning to them. In chapter 14 of Mark, he records it for us. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you this very night. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. That means it's the press, the uh, olive press there where the olive oil is processed. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, you know this narrative. And I want you to concentrate, though, because here's Peter, James, and John that are being uniquely drawn in by Christ. And this is going to be the format for which we're going to hear Peter's words today in the epistle that we're going to read. So he brings them, and being greatly distressed and troubled, he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. I mean, the equivalent to us would be like, Dad, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, if you were going to circle one, one verse, I would circle that one verse, and I'd make a note out to the side, see 1 Peter 5. That's the setup. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. So will some of yours be in about 30 minutes with that pitter-patter continuing. They did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That scenario must have played in Peter's mind often. It's like that for the great regrets of our life, isn't it? They just kind of get reminded and rehearsed. It seemed obvious to Peter that uh, he did not understand the severity of the moment. He certainly didn't understand the significance of the enemy coming against him. 
he was so taken aback by the events that were unfolding, you can recognize that he was just completely taken off guard. However, following the resurrection, Peter understood more clearly what had transpired and with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the insight that comes from him and the empowerment and the emboldenedness that he gives to Peter three decades of ministry and experience later he knows the potency of the devil and he also knows the power for Christians in the strength of the Holy Spirit to take a stand against that which the devil brings to them. So the apostle had learned to be very definitive in his faith, more bold standing against the wiles of the devil. And now he is equipping other saints to do what he has learned to do, to stand firm, to resist him. And he is in So this letter is closing in its remarks to the scattered, persecuted church that have faced all kinds of temptation. And in that, he writes 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's move over there to verse 8 through 11. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, how long? A little while. There, there's a time limit to this suffering, right? Uh, there, there is a time clock that is ticking and God has set it. And at the end of that, it's going to be done. So after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, look at these four great words, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And repeat that last word with me. Amen. Let it be. I agree with that. So I want you to see three truths that Peter is telling we need to be acting on. Three truths that need to be acted on. Number one, Christians must remain on high alert for the devil is dangerously real seeking to devour us. You know, many people dismiss the devil and his activities, particularly the pursuit that he has to destroy them. However, Peter not only knows the existence of the devil, he knows the power of him and the destructive intent that he has against all the followers of Christ. So he warns us definitively, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. This is the activity of the enemy. So the devil is not only the adversary of God and the heavenly host, the devil is your adversary. You are his enemy. So God has adopted you into his family. He has called you to be the temple by which his Holy Spirit will dwell. And he has given you the ministry of Christ Jesus, commissioning you with Christ and those realities are our greatest hope and our greatest joy, the greatest purposes of our life. But they put a target on us as the enemy of the devil because you are linked with Christ by faith. So cast from heaven 
After he rebelled against God, the devil commands now his horde and the rulers of this world that follow after him. On three occasions, Jesus actually identified him as the ruler of this world. Now, if you've wondered why the culture in the world just keeps getting worse, why it goes more debased and more sinister and more wicked, it's because the devil is its ruler. And it is going to get worse. Before it ends, it's going to get much worse because he continues to roam around like a roaring lion seeking who he might devour. But you and I should take heart that it will not always be this way. Every time Jesus made a statement about the devil being the ruler of the world, he also told us that it is temporary, that there is a change coming. So Christ has defeated the devil on the cross and in the resurrection. And the moment that Jesus walked out of the tomb, God set a timer for the devil's evil rampage to end. And the time is moving towards that end. Jesus defeated sin and death and is putting the devil on notice from that point forward. L listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. It, it tells us this. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You say, why is the devil so ticked off? Because he knows that his time is short. Why is he so strong against us? Because he knows that his time is short. And because this kingdom is very much a moving kingdom towards the glory of Christ, he is trying in every way he can to thwart that. So the end is going to come when Christ delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. At that time, the kingdom will, of, of heaven will be fully ushered in, in a physical way. John wrote about that decisive victory in in Revelation chapter 20, it's the one that will come. The devil will be cast into the lake of fire and sulfur, tormented day and night forever and ever, he says in chapter 20, verse 10. So knowing that his days are numbered and hell is his fate, the devil roams in a rage seeking to destroy, acting vicariously through human actors who are given over to his evil ways and intent. I want you to see what's happening among the world. The devil is, is coming against unbelievers by deceiving them, casting them into disbelief and doubt of God and his word. His hope is to keep them from redemptive truth, empowering them with systems of unbelief and falsehoods and sin. He's moving, actively working in agents, human agents in the world to keep people in their unbelief, to keep them under the judgment of God in their sin, hoping that they will not discover the glory of the gospel, not stepping in faith to Jesus Christ. So he's very much at work to deceive unbelievers. 
And the devil is very much at work in coming against believers, trying to destroy us and wreck us, our witness and our effectiveness. I can tell you with certainty that he drives to belittle the church, to defame its name, and to thwart its purposes. He moves against it, intending to close the doors and to empty it of its worshipers and to empty it of its ministers. The devil is very much at work coming against both unbelievers and believers. For those believers internally, he is often causing through great uh, discord, bickering, and unrighteous living, and false teaching, and singing, and all of that is very much the way the devil comes against believers. Externally, he is coming against the church through persecution and martyrdom of the saints. He's been doing that from the very beginning of the church. The devil is like an insatiated beast roaming, looking to devour someone. And you got to know that Peter did not have what you and I have in the vision of a, a roaring lion. You and I go to the zoo and we see a well-satisfied lion. We see a lion that's fed every day. One that is not on the hunt. One that's not on the prowl. Uh, Peter did not have that in his day. In his day, if he came across a lion, he would know that that lion wanted to eat him, to devour him. It wasn't a satiated lion that was just roaming around. So Peter is describing the devil as that roaring lion, never satisfied, always looking to devour. He attacks in multiple ways. He'll attack you and me seeking to discount and weaken our faith. You say, how do you know that to be true? Peter knew it to be true in the moment of his weakness on the night that I just read about over in Mark chapter 14. The devil was coming against Peter to get him to discount the word of God, to discount his faith, to weaken his faith. And in the end, Peter denied him, didn't he? Denied him just like the Lord said. So he's come to discount and weaken your faith. To distract you with an allure of the world. To derail you with sinful temptations and the subsequent feelings of guilt and shame and isolation. He's come to divert us with false teaching and false singing. To deject you with persecution. To decimate your marriage and family. To disqualify the church leaders and to divide the church members. When it comes to the devil, the war is on and you and I, as Peter says, should not be flippant or foolish or distracted or in denial. In fact, we ought to be very much different. We ought to be alert and sober-minded about him. He's very much at work. But look at the second thing that I want us to see that we act on, this truth to be acted on. Christians must resist the devil's attack with unshakable faith, knowing his attack is a common for world, uh, believers worldwide. And in the end, Christ's victory is going to be shared with us. Boy, that's a long point, isn't it? But it's a good one. Here's what Peter says in verse 9 of chapter 5. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that your brotherhood is experiencing the same kind of suffering throughout the world. So Peter wants us to be alert with eyes wide open to the danger and the destruction of the devil that he is inflicting upon us. However, he does not want us to cower in fear. He does not want us to be given to fear. In fact, the opposite is true. He says, resist him firm in your faith. 
So when he comes against you, resist him. Be firm in your faith. What is this faith that he's talking about? He's not talking about faith that you can stand. He's not talking about faith that you're strong enough to be able to do it. He's not talking about you having faith in anything other than Christ. You and I have a pinpoint faith and our faith is solely in Jesus Christ. So when he says resist him firm in your faith, he's wanting you to resist him knowing who Jesus is. Knowing the difference that Jesus is making in your life. Knowing the word of Christ and what difference it makes. Resist him firm in your faith. I like the way John Phillips wrote about it. He says we're to resist the evil one. Not in our own strength, but in the yielding strength of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says. James gives us a formula. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil is not afraid of us, but he is terrified of the Holy Spirit. So as we submit ourselves to God, Satan finds himself up against the one who is in us. One who is greater than he is. Now, how do you resist the devil? Just a practical thought. How do we stand firm in our faith resisting the devil? I think you can do it by asking yourself two quick questions. What do I know about Jesus and what do I know about his word and how is that going to make a difference right now? What do I know about him? What do I know about his word? And what I know about Jesus and what I know about his word What lies do I hear that need to be renounced and what truths do I know that need to be exalted? In this moment of standing resistant, firm in my faith, what do I know about Jesus and what do I know about his word that will help me to denounce lies and proclaim truth? That's why it's so essential that you and I have a daily time in the word of God. A daily time of reading and meditating and studying and worshiping and praying in the Word of God. And it's essential that you and I gather as saints for the biblical instruction, the preaching, the teaching, and the biblical singing of songs. Because that helps us in our ongoing battles throughout our ages as Christians. This morning, we are strengthening our minds, and we are readying our spirit, and we are steadying our faith for the attack that is coming this week. That's what we're doing. This isn't just something we do in the South on Sunday mornings, gathering together, having coffee, having fellowship, singing songs. Listen, we are readying ourselves for war. We are readying ourselves for a battle. That's the reason why you and I are in God's word. We want to know about God, but we want to know him in a way that we are drawn to him and fortified to stand in him. Because the enemy is real and his attack is real. And he comes against us. You and I recognize that we are warriors who have been given the armor of God, advancing the kingdom of God, And the Lord Jesus has determined and announced that the forces of hell cannot prevail against us, his church. So we come together and we steady ourselves in our thinking and in our spirits and in our hearts. Because we wage war not according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But listen to this. 
You and I have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's what the apostle said. And that's what his ministry was. And that's certainly what our ministry is. You think the apostle Paul had any greater defense than you and I have? No, no, no. He has the same Lord, the same spirit, and the same word. You and I have the same call. To be strong in our faith, steady in our faith, and to resist the devil. So we stand steady on God's word and purpose, and we are faithful to the obedience of Christ. And in doing so, that's resisting the devil. It's not as much about resisting the devil's temptation as it is standing firm in your faith. And when you stand firm in your faith, you will resist the temptations. You'll resist that which the devil is offering you because you recognize what Christ has given to you is greater than that which the counterfeit is being offered to you. And according to James, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Do you believe that? That he will flee us. Now let me ask you a question. Is there sin in your life that you have given yourself to. You've just decided you can't conquer this. This must just be the way it's going to be. This is the way you are. Listen, I want this to be a reset moment to resist firm in your faith and to determine right now in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit that dwells within you, you are not going to be given to that any longer. You are going to resist believing and trusting that God will help you to resist. You'll know Jesus, you'll know his word, and you're going to resist. And in resisting, he will flee from you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we stand steady in God's word. We hold shields of faith. Now listen, this shield of faith that we have is good for us, but it's better for us when we connect it to other people. This is an image of Romans who have shields of faith. Theirs is just shields uh, as a barrier, a defense barrier, but it's also an offensive strategy in which they could hold those shields up and they interlock together so that they are an impenetrable force of that which is being attacked against them. Listen, you think you're going to do anything to that group of guys right there? They are well fortified, aren't they? Now, it's one thing for you and me to have the armor of God, which includes the shield of faith. But it's another thing when you stand like this with fellow believers. And you lock together your shields of faith. That's the reason why life group is so important. It's not just a gathering on Sunday mornings after our worship time. Life group is essential because you are locking shields of faith together. You're not just doing it on Sunday morning. You're encouraging each other on Monday afternoon and on Tuesday mid-morning and on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You're calling one another. You're checking on one another. You're texting verses to one another. You're praying for one another. Those are shields of faith that get locked together. You need to have that, men. You need to have that, ladies. Men in your lives and for women, women in your lives who will lock together shields of faith that you might be well fortified, resisting 
standing firm in your faith. You can't do it alone. In fact, every man here needs a band of brothers. And every woman here needs a sorority of sisters. And you need them in faith. I'm so grateful to our media team who broadcast our messages and worship hour out on the radio and on the internet. Stream it later if you want to. But you can't do church with locked shields of faith from a remote, isolated position. It's meant to be locked together. It's why we're together this morning. It's why we're connecting and singing, why you're hearing each other sing. Uh, for some of you, a little rough. But you were speaking and singing truths that needed to be heard. And those truths don't have a correct note. They're either biblical truths or they're not. And I heard biblical truths being sung today. And that was encouraging to me. So we not only deal with suffering and temptations, but we deal with it that other believers are dealing with. We recognize that believers all over the world are facing the same thing. And God has given us the means by which we can be victorious because he shares his victory with us. Which brings me to the third and final active point. Christians endure suffering now knowing God will eternally rescue, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Look at verse 10 again. After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Aren't you grateful that you don't have to restore yourself? I mean, aren't you grateful that you don't have to confirm and strengthen and establish yourself, but that God is doing that in Christ Jesus? And I mentioned this universal time is, is in play and this timer has an end to it and that's the judgment day for the devil and all of his evil horde and all of the unregenerate who are not given to belief in Christ Jesus. That day is coming to an end. Now for you and me that will be a glorious sound because when that time comes to an end the trumpets will be sounding and for us the trumpet sounding will be the victory call for us to stand before Christ our Savior as he beckons all the redeemed saints from all of ages to enter into his glorious presence and in that suffering will end. Temptations will end. Sin will end and all of its consequences as well. God will isolate the devil who has been roaming around looking to devour somebody. He's going to isolate him in the lake of fire and he will forever silence his roar that has been so deafening throughout history. The tormentor forever will be tormented and the accuser of the brethren forever will be condemned and eternally judged. By his grace, God will exchange our temporary suffering for his eternal glory and triumph. So my friends, God has called us to eternal glory. That's not just about the future, although that's incredible. God has called us to his glory now. Do you trust him in that? 
that God has called us to a glorious life now. He has already declared that to be the case. Already confirmed us. Already he has established us. Already he has restored us. Already he has strengthened us. God has already done that. And he's going to bring it to full soon in the end. But he is moving glory into us. He has done that in his glorious resurrection. So that means, my friends, that salvation is not just the rescue from damnation. Salvation is God sharing the glory of Jesus Christ with us. The God of all grace is going to make us like Jesus. And that's what he's doing now. Shaping, marring, molding, making us more like Christ in a spiritual way. But I can tell you that's going to be in the fullness as well spiritually and physically and otherwise. He will make us like Jesus. Now God is using the seasons of our life, particularly the most troublesome times of our life, to fashion us. He's marring us down and he's molding us. And the result is going to be as we mature in our faith, he is going to make us more and more gloriously like Jesus. Now, I don't like suffering and I don't like the temptations and I don't like the pains and I don't like the valleys of life any more than you do. Those experiences are hard and challenging and difficult. They're filled with tears, aren't they? But I can tell you what God is doing in the midst of that. He is using that which is even brought in evil against you. He's using it for your good. And in the good of that, you are more and more like Jesus. He's shaping you in those times of hurt. You say, what do you mean, Randy? Well, here's what I know. When, when we ex experience trials and suffering, when you're sick and the sickness continues... And when you're down and you feel pressed against, suddenly our priorities start to shift. We align ourselves more with the will of God. We begin to repent of sin and we pray more intimately and we focus more eternally and we have a greater sense of living in the very presence of God. This marring and molding is making us like Jesus and it happens over a lifetime. When you look back in your life and you see the trials and you see the afflictions and you see the suffering and you see the sicknesses that you have had, you're probably looking back on your life and you're seeing how God has used those in your, in your days to shape you to be more like Christ. This is what God is doing. He's steadily, slowly maturing us. I can tell you, though, there's coming a day that it won't be steady and slow. <laughs> there's a day that it is going to be instantaneous. There's a day that he's not going to mar us down in order to shape us to be more like Jesus. There is a day that he is going to instantaneously resurrect our deceased and, and decayed bodies. And he is going to make us glorious like Jesus. 
And it won't just be in a physical way. Everything about my thinking will be like Jesus. Everything about my heart intention will be like Jesus. My emotions will be like Jesus. My hunger for the things of righteousness will be like Jesus. My purposes will be like Jesus. What comes out of my mouth will be like Jesus because I'm going to be made like him when I look at him in the eyes. And if your faith is in Christ Jesus, so will you. It will be instantaneous. It's going to transform us and he will usher into his everlasting presence and there we will dwell with him. Man, what a dwelling that'll be. For the past two millennia, he has been working on this place. He said, I'll go to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll bring it unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. He has been preparing this place for a couple of thousand years nearly. And he's going to invite us into that place and glorify us. The Father will to be like the Son. And then he will say, come, sit at the table I prepared for you. What a feast he is going to lay out. It'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there we will be mystified. We'll look around in that room and we'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we'll see Joseph and be able to interact with him. And we'll see Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Daniel and Gideon. We'll see people like uh, Ruth and Rachel and Rahab and Rebecca and all the other amazing women of the Bible. And we'll talk to Paul, the church planner. We'll talk to Stephen, the deacon. And we'll talk to John, the baptizer. We'll see all the apostles. And we'll talk to Augustine and Calvin and Edwards and Moody and Tyndall and Luther and Spurgeon and Tubman and, and Graham. And as astounding as that will be to be in that place and to be among those people, people we will love and cherish that moment because we have been longing to know them from the pages of the Bible and throughout the history of the church but what will get us most is that we will marvel that you and I are there and that we will be like Jesus oh our great king our glorious savior the one who redeemed us and reconciled us fashioned us all these years by his spirit and now suddenly rewarded by him for the faith that we stood in everything that we've ever gone through will be glorious in our remembrance and we will know that it was all for purpose that God was doing something what we don't understand now and what we question about God will forever be cast away and we'll have the fullness of his glory the wondrous insight from eternal perspective from heaven and it'll make sense our faith will be given away by sight faith pushed out because it's been hoped for all this time and now we see it it's before us Jesus our Savior Overwhelmed with those realities of being restored and confirmed and strengthened and established, we will worship at the feet of Jesus for his grace. Now look, this is what God is doing right now. This is what Peter wants you to know. Stand firm, be alert, be sober-minded, be attentive, resist. Because if you do, God will use these moments of hardship. He'll confirm you in your faith. He'll restore whatever is taken away from you. 
He'll establish. He'll ground you. He'll, he'll strengthen you. One day that'll be in full. I'm not going to take time to go through all those. But think for a moment. Every time anybody's ever spoke negatively of you, wrongfully so, it'll be restored. Every time you did the right thing, but it cost you in this life, it'll be restored. Every lie spoken about you, truth himself will restore it. Every time somebody has wronged you in this life, the vindicator will restore it. Restored. All that's going to be righted. When we stand before him in this physical weakened state, it'll be restored. When we talk to him in relationship in the sweetness of fellowship without all the muck and the mire, the regret and the failures of this world, that relationship fully restored. What a glorious moment that'll be. Now knowing where God is taking you to restore you, to confirm you, to strengthen you, to establish you, knowing where he's taking you, knowing where it will be given to you in full. What do you think God wants you to think about when that trial and suffering comes your way and he wants you to stand in him because in that moment he is shaping you restoring you conforming you strengthening you and establishing you he wants you to know where he's taking you in full so that as you take these difficult steps today you might stand in your faith knowing that the brotherhood around the world are experiencing the same. And here you and I are saying, Lord, is it ever going to change? Ever going to be different? Is this life always going to be filled with sorrow? Yes. But I'm doing something good. In the midst of it all, I'm doing something good. And in the end, You'll see it's perfect. Let's pray with it. Lord, for the one who has been struggling for a while, I pray that you would continue to help them to be sober-minded, to be alert, to recall the things of Jesus and his word, to stand resiliently, to be shaped and conformed to Christ, knowing that in the end, he or she will be glorified. Help us, Lord, in that, to be given to those truths, to not just go into the tides of this world that ebb and flow or the current of this culture that seems to be further and further away from you, not to be shifty like this world, but to be solid, established, confirmed, strengthened. I pray, Lord, that you would find us resistant to this world's lies, to the deceit of the enemy, to his evil, wicked, calloused plan to bring about demise. And I pray that you would find us restored in Christ and walking in him. So help us, God, by your spirit and in the counsel of your word and in the faith of each other 
to do just that, to the glory of King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.